One of the most nerve-wracking moments in my life was when I had to drive down to the business office of one Mr. J. Dan Smith in downtown Augusta, Georgia, Georgia to ask for his daughter Gina's hand in marriage. Uh, that, is a, that was a long journey that wasn't very uh, long in terms of distance. And uh, when I got there, he only kept me waiting in the waiting room for 35 minutes as I just sweated bullets the whole time. And then when I walked into the door, his first words to me were, shut the door. <laughs> so I shut the door. And then he sat me in a very low chair before a very big and thick desk as I looked across the desk and... Um, I began to say to him, uh, this is pretty typical, Mr. Smith, you know that Gina and I have been getting to know one another for quite some time and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it all ended with, uh, the reason I have come here is to ask for Gina's hand in marriage. Would you honor me by giving your consent? And there was a pause. (laughs) And finally, after this lengthy pregnant pause was a predetermined line of questions, serious questions about character, about all kinds of things. And to the best of my ability and with complete honesty and utter humility, I answered the questions that were asked of me. But I'll tell you the one that really took me aback more than any of them was uh, kind of toward the end of these questions, he took an 8.5 by 11 piece of paper and he slid it in my direction across the desk with a sharpened pencil on top of it. And, uh, and he announced to me, I would like to know if you can support my daughter financially. I'd like for you to write down all your debts, your salary and your benefits on this piece of paper if you don't mind. I was two years out of seminary. This was not the most, like, secure question I could be asked at that time. I was not feeling very Rockefeller-ish at all. And so I I took the paper, you know, (laughs) felt about that big and and wrote out. I have a card, (laughs) you know, all this stuff. And I slid it back across the desk. He took it up. He put on his glasses and kind of leaned back and he just stared at that paper for a while. I mean an eternity. I don't know how long it was. And then he he looked up at me and he said, that's just fine, son. We would be happy for you to marry Gina and we would be happy to have you in our family. (laughs) I was so relieved and I was so overjoyed. And, uh, and I'll tell you, going down there at all wasn't exactly a modern thing to do. You know what I mean? Like, that's not necessarily written in the, the law of how you get married culturally anymore. And in fact, it kind of felt like an ancient ceremony of sorts. It, it felt like the precursor not to just getting hitched to Gina but the precursor to a serious covenant. 
by which I would bring all I am and all I have to the table and offer everything I am, everything I have, and my whole future to her. That's how it felt. And indeed, that's what it was. And indeed, that's what it should be. This morning, I want to take a look at the ancient covenant that God made with Abraham, otherwise known as the the covenant of the promise. And it's repeated several times in Scripture. And how the, the promise leads to our access to the promises of a God who wants us and a God who wants to love us and provide for us. A God who wants a people for Himself and will give everything that His church needs. So I want to look at the one promise and then all the promises. All right, And, and the road to all the promises leads through the one promise. So let's start with the one promise. Uh, living into focus, that's the name of our series, this morning means to see more clearly what God brought to the table to have a relationship with us. And what we brought to the table. And, and what this agreement is. And what this covenant is with God that He initiated. I think the place to start out is first to say that God has no business making a covenant with you or me. You have to start there. These are not like roughly equivalent parties in this agreement. God really has no business initiating a covenant with us. Um, The perfect, the holy, the almighty, the omniscient of His own initiative for reasons never explained to us except maybe... Love, for God so loved the world, comes and makes covenant with weak, foolish, inherently damaged, and selfish sinners. It, it's amazing. Now, you know, you think about the, the, the greater party in the covenant, that's God for sure, and the lesser part party, uh, you would think that getting this relationship would really cost us something to to make up the difference in the lack that we have. We'd really have to put on our eight and a half by eleven a lot for that person, God, to really want to have a relationship with somebody like me or somebody like you. Meaning God's about to drive a hard bargain here. But you know the incredible thing about the covenant? Is this just the opposite of that? It's amazing. No, God steps forward to make a covenant that requires nothing from us to gain. And what we will do will be a response to what He alone has done to bring us together. And there's going to be a a lot of response and a lot of walking with God, of loving the Lord, loving the law of God, walking with Him and His continuing work within us. And so I say to you this morning, for all of you who yearn to be truly wanted, for all of you who yearn to be won at great cost, to be loved unconditionally, 
to be sealed with a promise that cannot fail. To all of you, I say, welcome to the covenant of grace. Welcome to a journey deeper into the sure love of God and deeper into the amazing provision of God through His goodness, by all His promises. God appeared to Abram three times making His covenant. These appearances had years in between them. It wasn't like God appeared to Abram on Monday, on Wednesday appeared again, and on Friday appeared again. God appeared to Abram when he was an unbeliever in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, which is kind of where Babylonia would be later, and called him, remember, to, to, to leave and, and, and believe him and, and, and go to a place he would, he would show him. It's an amazing thing. And, and, and God and Abram believed that God was God. And Abram told Sarah, pack it up. We're going. Where are we going? Don't know. We're following God. God reappeared to Abram when he was 86 years old. In Genesis chapter 15. And um, in Genesis 12, 15, and 17, he talks about how a people is going to come from Abraham. Now, Abraham is childless. So how is a people going to come from Abraham? And so the, the second time is in, verse, in, cha- in Genesis 15, 12, 15. That's age 86. And then our text... Abraham, you know how old Abraham is? The third time God appeared and made official covenant with him. He was 99 years old. There's a lot of years where Abraham's just having to believe God and just keep walking to the next point. It's pretty amazing. And the heart of the covenant is what we read in Genesis 17. It is finally succinctly put, and, and, and this sentence is repeated like this eight different times in Scripture. If you want to know what the heart of the covenant of grace is, it is this. I will be your God and the God of your children after you for the generations to come. It literally says in verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you. And to your offspring after you. And we see that the grand design of God isn't just to get somebody saved. It's not just an individual matter. God wants a people to to rest His affection on. And He he makes an everlasting covenant with sinners. Now, I want to be God to you and your children. That's a far cry from the curses that we dealt with just last week in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 was all about God separating Adam and Eve from himself, all about driving them out of the immediate presence of his glory, right? This is an utter reversal of that. I will be your God. I mean, God just says straight up, right now, and you can believe it right now, all that I will do, and we'll get back to this, all that I will do, you can believe it right now, I will be your God. That's my promise and it's to your children as well, and my promises are always kept. Always kept. So Genesis 12, 15, and 17. And in Genesis 15, and I mentioned this about four or five weeks ago, it's a very important passage of Scripture to understand grace in the Old Testament. 
In Genesis chapter 15, the actual covenant ceremony between God and Abraham is performed. God made this covenant with Abraham, made these promises to Abraham, or Abram, he was called at that time. And God told Abram to cut, there was some animals, to cut them into pieces. And what, would, what you would do in those days, you know, we're like, what in the world is that? Well, of course, as Christians, we're like, okay, we're seeing blood here. We're, we're, we're kind of understanding that part. But what, what in the world is that about? Well, if you lived at that time in that culture, you would automatically know what that is. Any serious agreement at that time had to do with a, a cutting ceremony where an animal or animals would be cut and, and laid and there would just be blood in the pathway and, and both Parties who were agreeing to fulfill their part, if you will, just like when you enter into an agreement, you have a part, right? That's what a covenant is about. Both parties would pass between the, and walk over the, the blood and the bloody pieces, signifying, if I don't fulfill my side of the covenant, may I be like those animals. So this is a serious ceremony. And what we learn... In Genesis 15 is that as Abram woke up from a deep sleep, behold, God alone was passing between the pieces. That's not supposed to happen. That can't be a real covenant ceremony. No, what is God saying? And it is a, a smoking fire pot and a, and a, and a, and a light, a, a, a fire, uh, kind of like the... Um, the, the glory cloud at, by, by day and the pillar of fire by night represented the presence of God. That's what that's about. And so Abram awakes only to see God alone pass through the covenant ceremony. What's being said by that? I'm going to do this. I alone will fulfill the terms of this covenant for you to have a relationship with me. You see, this is the, the fulfillment of what started in Genesis with the promise. One will be born of a woman and he will crush the head of Satan and he will begin, the, re, the reverse of this curse will happen. And God says, you know what? I will be your God and the God of your children. And I alone will do this. And I never fail. And I'm making this promise and I never break my promises. Genesis 15, 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. God alone. That's why it's called the covenant of grace. As we move through the Old Testament, we just kind of get clearer and more information on what this is going to look like, right? Starting in Genesis 3, uh, 3:15, born of a woman, going to crush the head of the serpent. Now we learn from Abraham that that Abraham is going to be the father of many nations and kings will come of him. Now we know that this Savior is going to come from the lineage of a king. By the way, you talk about the, uh, the faith of Abraham. You know what the word Abram, that's what he was called before God renamed him in Genesis 17. You know what the word Abram means? It means the father of many. Okay, please follow me. The father of many is actually the father of none. And he's 99 years old. And people are kind of like playing off of his name. You know, and there were like associations at that time, unfortunately, between barrenness and all kinds 
of things. And so, you know, here's father of many who's 99 years old, doesn't have any children, and God renames him father of many nations. <laughs> Can you imagine what, it, what faith it took for Abraham to change, Abram to Abraham, for Abraham to change his business card as father of none to father, excuse me, as father of none who is actually named father of many to father of many nations and kings will come from me. Abraham is amazing. So we, we see that, that this, this Savior is going to come from Abraham. He's going to come uh, in, in the lineage of the kingdom. Later in the Old Testament, we learn that he's from the tribe of Judah. Then we learn that he is from the house of David. There's that king, right? There's that king. We learn later he's going to be born in Bethlehem. We learn later he's going to live in Nazareth. So it's getting more and more narrow. I will be your God. I promise. I pass through the pieces. I'm going to do this, not you. And then, at the fullness of time, right? At just the right time, God sent His Son. Born of a woman. Born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive the full rights of sonship, of being His sons and daughters and the fulfillment of this promise. So we begin to learn through the Old Testament and then into the New Testament. And then, of course, we're so blessed to be on this side. Abram had to believe all this without the knowledge, all the specific knowledge you see in the Old Testament saints. But we know who Jesus is. We can link all these Old Testament prophecies to who Jesus actually is. Have you ever done that? It's incredible. Mathematicians have talked about the the percentage chance of all those prophecies coming through, it's literally an astronomical number because this really is God doing it all just as He promised He would. Now, in the New Testament, this covenant, we call it the New Covenant, not new because it's different, because new because we have more information about it. This covenant in the New Testament um, is much more personal, it feels, uh, the New Covenant. Jonathan Edwards... See, I told you the sabbatical would pay off. I've studied Jonathan Edwards on the sabbatical. So let me share with you a little bit from from Edwards. Jonathan Edwards stated that this Old Testament covenant of the Father who would save us through the Messiah, the covenant of grace, is presented in the New Testament in, in in a new and wonderful way. Edwards says it's presented as the marriage covenant between Christ and his bride. And that's exactly right. Now, you see, this is getting very personal. Can you wrap your arms around a marriage covenant? Yes, you can. Edward says, quote, The sum of what Christ promises in His covenant with His people is that He will give Himself to them. In marriage, the people who are covenanting with one another give themselves to each other and give what they have to the other. That's why I kind of started with, yeah, I remember doing that. And I remember being grilled by my father-in-law, whom I love so dearly, um, in doing that. Edwards goes on to say, my last quote from him, he talks about this marriage to to Jesus and, and, and how it's come about and what it means to us. The happiness, the happiness of life consists in the enjoyment of our bridegroom, who is Christ, who loves us. 
The happiness of life consists in the fact that I will be your God has come true. And he's the lover of our souls. And we are his beloved bride. It includes our growth in grace. It includes, he says, our perseverance. We enjoy Christ and all that comes with that relationship. So Jesus eight and a half by 11 that he slides across the table is just a little bit different than, than, than in our, one of our marriage ceremonies that we might slide across the table. In our marriage with Christ, he assumes everything. It's just like the passing between the pieces. That's a picture of what Christ does. He assumes everything and he accomplishes everything needed to reclaim us so that God can be our God and the God of our children after us through sacrificial love. An ultimate. There's an ultimacy about this, as you know. And uh, all that is required to have this relationship, Jesus assumes every bit of that and accomplishes it. it is, a relationship with God is all of grace. Our bridegroom assumed our debt of sin before God and paid it off completely in his blood, and we are free. This is what Jesus meant when he said this in, in, in the communion, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And, and he takes the, the, the cup and he says, here's what I will be your God looks like. This is the blood of my the covenant, the new covenant, uh, my blood shed for you. And what do we do to have this covenant? Nothing but believe. Isn't it great? That God didn't say, well, you know what? I tell you what, we're going to put you on an improvement plan. And maybe in a three, three or four years, I'll kind of look down and see like, like if you're like trending toward, even, even trending toward becoming holy like me. No. No, Christ has paid not 65% of the sin debt that we have against God. Christ has paid 100%. It is finished. Those are beautiful words of covenant fulfillment. You no longer have the curse against you that goes all the way back to Genesis because Jesus took that curse and he paid that price and he is the lover of our souls. He is our bridegroom. Uh, this is true of Abraham as well. We do nothing but believe. Back to Genesis fifteen six, and this is quoted also in the book of Romans. It says, And Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Meaning that, no, it's not true that in the Old Testament... Old Testament people are saved by the law and the New Testament people are saved by grace. No, God promised Abraham. God said, I want to be your God as opposed to the curse. And Abram believed God. He put his faith in God's promises and it was credited to him as righteousness. We, we hear Jesus say in John chapter 26, uh, excuse me, John chapter 6, verse 28. They said to him, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in whom he has sent. Isn't that wonderful? 
You see, that's the bridegroom who has won us. For all of you who long to be wanted, for all of you who yearn to be valuable enough to be won, for all of you who long for unconditional love, welcome to the covenant. Welcome to the marriage. And all you have to do is put your trust in the one from Genesis 3.15 that would crush the head of the serpent and all that we learned about him and at just the right time and there he is dying on a cross taking our curse for us. There he is rising from the dead, defeating death and giving us life eternal. If you long for those things and you long for that marriage, you simply put your trust in what the promised one has done for you. Okay, that's the promise, right? That's the promise. The covenants of the promise, as it's called in the New Testament. So, what about all the promises? Well, the road to all the promises leads through the promise. We said that. And that comes simply by believing, by faith. And folks, when we have him, we suddenly are heirs with Jesus of all things. Everything. He withholds nothing from us that is good. When, when we have Jesus, our bridegroom, suddenly all the promises of the Bible are active for us because we are the true sons and daughters of God. And let me tell you something. God's promises, not just the promise, God's promises never fail you believe that? You see, now we're going to kind of get into not just knowing Jesus, but whether we can have faith. And the promise, promise has a future tense to it, that God really will supply what is needed. God really will bless and, and, and undergird and give. But we are going to have to trust God and believe that because we have the promise, we will have all the promises. And like Abraham, all those years between God meeting with him. 2 Corinthians 1, if you want to turn there, Brad read it uh, earlier in the service in our New Testament lesson. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible that, that kind of pulls together the two Testaments. You know, it's just one plan of salvation. It's just one covenant of grace uh, from Genesis 3.15 to, to the end of Revelation, to maps, right? God reclaiming a people... For himself through the promise. Hey, by the way, if you believe in what I'm saying, welcome to covenant theology. You just became a covenant theologian and didn't know it. Um, if you want to talk about that later, we can. But 2 Corinthians 1, 19 through 22 says this, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no. But in him, it's always yes. Listen to this. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That's why the promise leads to the promises. All the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen, our truly, to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ as and has anointed us. Now listen to this. And who has also put His seal on us of the Spirit and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee that the promises are for real. We have the promise. We have the Spirit. 
And it is guaranteed if you know the one true and living God through the promise, the Messiah. It's an amazing thing to walk with Jesus because of what he alone has done for us and to respond by loving him and seeking him and and following him and in faith. Um, to walk out in faith with Jesus and, and see God come through. Uh, it's an amazing thing, maybe even more, to walk out with Jesus and not yet see things come through. And you just believe that He really is your God and you're not cursed and the God to your children. Meaning, God's church us individually as his people, we are loved and we are always provided for. And God doesn't break one of his promises. Now, I want to take the next three minutes to just read to you some of the promises. Would you like that? Okay. A couple of resources. Uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote a book, and I think it's an app. I think I used to have this app. It's called Faith's Checkbook. I'll put all of this on the city later this afternoon, okay? Okay. Faith's Checkbook, meaning you write checks off of God's promises. This is Charles Spurgeon. Uh, there's another book uh, by Herbert Lockyer. It's in the All series, All the Promises of God in the Bible. It's very comprehensive. Um, but one of the ones I love, and I just found it this week in, in trying to come up with some resources, I love a website called, I'll put it on the city, www.365promises.com. Basically, you can have in your inbook inbox one promise of God per day if you choose. Or you can go and uh, see the list of all these, of just 365. There's thousands of them, 365 of the promises. And what I love about this particular resource is the promise is summarized, and then there's the scripture you can look up and see the actual words of the promise. So in the interest of time, I'm just going to read the summary, and I'll start by reading some of the scriptures, but you'll get the flavor of this. Hey, if you've got the promise then here's what you can trust God for. I am the Lord your God and I will never change. That is Malachi 3.6. That's a promise. Since you are in Christ, I have made you an heir of all my promises. That is Galatians 3.29. i put all this on the city later. My plan for your future is filled with hope. Jeremiah 29.11. I will give you rest in green pastures and I will lead you beside still waters. Psalm 23.2. That's a promise. I will give you, excuse me, I will take hold of your hand and I will keep you from falling. Psalm 37, 24. And I'm going to quit reading all the, the, the references at this point. I will provide every good thing that you need to do my will. Hebrews 13, 20. My power will rest on you when you are weak. 2 Corinthians 12. I uh, just said I wasn't going to do that. Um, <laughs> I will bless your life and I will keep watch over you always. If you search for me with all your heart, you will find me every time. I will shield your life and deliver you from the wicked. I will. I will. I will not let you be tested beyond that which you can endure. That's a promise. My love will persevere through every situation. I will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly with me. When Jesus appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never dim. And then finally, not one of my promises will ever fail. Joshua 23, 14. 
And that's just like selected promises from January. You get the point. I will be your God. And the God of your children. I will save you. I alone. I will bring you into my family. You will lack nothing if you will just walk with me. God's got this thing, y'all. God loves you and God will do it. We need to believe. We need to rejoice. We need to worship. We need to walk with Him. And we need to say, thank you, Lord, for the covenant of grace. Trusting in the promise opens up the promises. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that it is by grace and not by our works. Thank you that you came and made a covenant that we didn't deserve. And you have mediated that covenant and fulfilled our salvation through the promised Messiah who is Jesus and through his death on the cross and the empty tomb. You've never put your trust in Jesus. The only way to salvation, you want to, pray with me. Lord, I see it. I want to turn from everything I've called Christianity. I want to put my trust, Jesus, in what you have done. Thank you that even now, my sins are forgiven. Even now, I'm yours. Lord, we have a hard time in this fallen world. And there are times when we, in our weak flesh, wonder if you're still there. And if you still love us as much. We wonder whether you will come through. We wonder what that looks like. God, would you so reinforce the promise in our lives this morning that you would also give us faith toward the promises. Bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.